With sports car racing news and analysis from around the globe, this is the Double Stint Podcast. Here's John DeGeese and Ryan Marine. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Double Stint Sports Car 365 Sports Car Racing Podcast here in Indianapolis. I'm Ryan Marine with John DeGeese in Chicago. Did want to direct you if you're looking for some esports results from the past week. You can check out our weekly racing roundup. That's at sportscar365.com. You can find results from Trans Am and MX5 Cup and several other series esports racing from the past week. You can find that there, plus some other good news and notes. So I encourage you to check that out. But, John, it was a busy week of news from sports car racing and not great news, quite frankly. Starting with uh, the announcement that Porsche will be dropping its GTLM program at the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship for 2021. So they'll continue here to close out the 2020 season, but no all-pro lineup in GTLM for Porsche moving forward. And uh, first of all, that's just a, a huge shock to the system, right? Because Porsche has been a big part of this class for a very long time. Yeah, there's been a factory GTLM Porsche program since the formation of the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship post-merger, the, you know, when ALMS and Grand Am merged to create the the, folk, the centralized series in 2014. And that was actually their first win right out of, right, right out of the gate at Daytona there um, with the core Autosport run Porsche operation. And quite frankly, it's been probably the most successful Porsche factory works team we've seen around you know out of all of the factory operations maybe barring the lmp1 they were quite dominant through the latter part of their years before their withdrawal from from um, lmp1 competition but um, this one did come as a shock Um, we had heard some rumblings in the weeks previous that there could be some changes or that the factory program may take a hiatus but um, when the news came through it definitely was a surprise and um, i think it really sent shockwaves through the whole sports car racing community. And I think this is really the first major um, withdrawal to come as a result of the the coronavirus pandemic or, or consequences of the coronavirus pandemic. We've obviously had some withdrawals from Le Mans, but that was just one race. This is an entire program that's going away at the end of the year. Yeah, so let's dive into the rationale from Porsche here. I think there was some hope that perhaps This signaled a reallocation of these funds towards a prototype program when LMDH comes online. We've talked in the past that it's something that Porsche has their eyes on. But subsequently, we found out that this decision was made independent of any any prototype plans that may or may not be bubbling in the background. So what was it that forced Porsche's hand here to make this uh, difficult decision? Yeah, I spoke to Pascal Zerlund in the the evening of the announcement after they made the announcement. He's the director of factory motorsports for Porsche. And he stressed to me that, it, like you said, it was the decision was made completely independent of their ongoing talks and discussions and evaluations of LMDH. Um, that is what Porsche is saying right now. And, and you have to sort of take their word for it at, at, at this time. Um, we do know that Porsche remains in serious discussions for LMDH, and one could speculate or guess that if you were to end a program one year early, um, Porsche's contract with Core was through the end of the 2021 season. Um, if you were to end a program a year early, you would be saving money, and maybe that money could help green light an LMDH program. But again, that's just my speculation. Um, the big 
reason why Porsche is saying this is independent is because there hasn't been a decision on LMDH. We're still waiting. Um, uh, Pascal said it, it's a decision that's not likely to come for the next two or three months, um, probably more towards the end of the year at the earliest. So um, there's a lot going on within the whole Volkswagen group right now in terms of of, of budget realignments. And, and I think the whole motoring industry as a whole, it shouldn't just be targeted at VW Group. It should be targeted at every single automaker. Um, everybody's questioning their budgets. Um, everybody's wondering what kind of impact the financial world is going to have you know, in racing and, and how long this coronavirus pandemic will keep going or will it subside? Will we have a second wave? You know, there's so many things left questioning, but um, I think the real reason it comes down to money and you can't deny that this is the reason why they've decided to end the program um, at the end of this year. Well, you mentioned Core Autosport earlier, and this has been the team really behind this factory Porsche effort here in North America for some time. They've been more publicly in you know the name has been more publicly associated with some of the the pro-am lineups they've had with john bennett who owns the team but maybe if you're not paying close attention you don't know that core has been running this program all along behind the scenes so where does this leave core we know that they're out of uh, the the prototype stuff after one year in dpi last year john bennett took a step back and, and effectively retired from high-level racing. So what does this do to that core team that, that still was intact and had plans, like you said, through 2021 with this GTLM program until just a few days ago? Yeah, it's unclear right now. Um, I asked um, Pascal from Porsche about that, whether he could see any kind of future um, work relationship with Core or perhaps something to fulfill that final year contract. He never acknowledged the contract, um, didn't confirm it, but we have it confirmed via a renewal of their contract that was announced at Petit Le Mans 2018 for three additional years. So just to set the record straight, Pascal didn't confirm that they ended the contract a year early. Um, it's just based on what Porsche had previously announced was a three-year extension. So we don't have proof that actually there was a change in the contract right now. It could have come earlier, but um, nonetheless, um, Pascal didn't rule out running with something with core in the future. Um, you know, a lot of people would think, oh, an LMDH program would make a lot of sense. And I think it would if that actually happens. But there could be other teams out there looking for that operation as well, including a team like Penske, which has its contract up at the end of this year with Acura. So there's a lot of movies, moving parts and pieces right now in the sports car racing world, namely around LMDH. So I think that um, we'll have to wait and see what happens in, in terms of you know, if a program was to come online, would Core be able to run it? Or maybe could Core and Penske both run it? Um, would it be a factory program? Would it be a customer program? Um, in the short term, we don't know what Core is going to do next year. Um, you know, the, pre speculation wise, you know, you could say that they might want to look at running a, a GT3 program next year, for instance, maybe with some Porsches. Um, you look at what happened with Penske, for instance, when the RS Spider program came to a close at the end of 2008. Um, Porsche honored a contract with them um, for an additional year, and Penske ran a, a Daytona prototype with um, Romain Dumas and Timo Bernard. Um, didn't have any success, unfortunately, didn't win a race. And I think that was one of the series that Penske never was able to win a race in. It was the Rolex series that one year where they ran a, a Porsche-powered Riley DP, but I'm digressing here on that. <laughs> um, the point being is, yeah, I think there is still a possibility with Core and Porsche 
but um, it remains to be seen exactly what and when and how. And this announcement also raises big questions about what I, I think we can we both agree was already a shaky future for the GTE platform, which is uh, G, GTLM in IMSA. So we know now, looking at 2021, assuming nothing else changes, and that might be a bit of an assumption at this point, that we'll have factory efforts for a full season from Corvette and BMW. Meanwhile, on the other side of the pond, we know that Porsche remains committed to its WEC program in GTE Pro, so that's good news there, but just a handful of manufacturers involved in that with Ferrari and with Aston Martin. So you have five manufacturers involved, but it's only three on one side in one championship and two in the other, especially on the IMSA side. That leaves things pretty shaky, and we know BMW is always takes a look at this every single year as they evaluate this program. So does this accelerate any discussions about GT convergence or the, the future demise, I suppose, of the GTE concept? Because... It seems like manufacturer interest continues to wane here, and we're really just a couple more programs pulling out away from finding ourselves in a very uncomfortable position similar to where Corvette was racing against itself for a time in GT1 and ALMS. Yeah, I I think we have to look at this right now as a serious possibility, at least for the WeatherTech Championship, at least for IMSA. Um, WEC may be in a better position. Porsche has stated their intention to continue in the WEC in 2021, but it's not a firm 100% confirmation the way I felt it, at least talking to Pascal about it. But um, let's wait and see. I think IMSA is in a much more critical state right now where you have the potential and the best case scenario of of four full season entries next year um, between the two Corvettes and two BMWs. Mind you, BMW's current contract with Ray Hall and that program is only up through the end of this year. And there was some talk of BMW potentially looking at LMDH as well. So that's a big question mark. And it could, like you said, Ryan, leave Corvette in a situation where they're all alone. The good news is that I do know that there are parties involved looking at every single option that's on the table right now, um, whether it means to dissolve GTLM, um, whether it means to uh, bring in a single GT category with GT3 cars, whether it means to build two different classes, have like a GT3 plus, a GT3 AM. Um, you know, you can read a, uh, you can read my thoughts more in detail about this on SportsCar 365. I wrote a, an op-ed um, late last week about this, actually the, later on the, in, the, in the day when Porsche, after Porsche announced its with planned withdrawal. So uh, right now it's more of a, on my side, I'm speculating, I'm thinking what could happen and, and what I think would be the best option forward would be to use a GT3 based category where you have a potentially little more powerful model of a GT3 car, perhaps with confidential tires, can work as the pro class of GT. And then you have an, a pro-am class, perhaps with the bronze driver enforcement, that would sort of get rid of a lot of those pesky driver rating um, controversies we have in GTD. The big question I see is whether the ACO would adopt something like this or would IMSA be okay to veer away from the ACO if the ACO wouldn't adopt it? Because you do look at the grids in the ELMS and in WEC, and GTE is still hanging on pretty well. It's not as good as it was before, but they've been through tougher times with that platform before. And considering it's more or less their own platform, it's going to be a 
bit difficult. I think IMSA has to take the proactive approach and look after themselves in terms of their future of GT because we don't want a repeat of what Corvette had, you know, more than 10 years ago. And speaking of Corvette, um, I have some solid sources indicating that their new C8R is easily convertible into GT3 spec. It wouldn't take a whole lot of work to make that car um, homologated for GT3, you'd have to add ABS and, and some other well, electronic components, and perhaps some changes to uh, some changes to the engine and some other homologation things. But it wouldn't really be the end of the world. The only potential issue there, and from a political standpoint, is that once you enter GT3, you have to make the cars available to customers and build up to 20 of them in a 24-month period of the car's homologation. And judging how GM handled the Cadillac um, GT3 program, which was a full factory program only, and that led to its demise um, when uh, it pulled out of what was known as Pirelli World Challenge, I'm not quite sure if, if GM is prepared or willing and able to make a Corvette available to customers in GT3. Now, I hope I can prove myself, I hope I can be proved wrong on this, but just given their history and given what has transpired in the past and why there hasn't been an official Corvette GT3, and I know a lot of people talk about the Callaway yes. and how that's a GT3 and and that can, that can work. No, it can't because that's a, that's a tuner. That's a third-party uh, tuner that has the agreement from GM to build the car, but it's not a Corvette from the official factory, from Pratt and Miller, from GM. So um, I, I don't, I'm not, I'm dismissing any of those people that, that say that. I'm sorry. I understand. I acknowledge that as a car, but it's not the same as Pratt and Miller building a GT3 car and campaigning it as Corvette racing. So as you could see, I'm a bit passionate about this subject and um, more or less just because I think we've seen the writing on the wall for quite some time about GTE and Porsche's move now is sort of, made it all too clear that change needs to happen and, and hopefully change by next year so we're not left with a, de a completely depleted uh, GTLM grid. That's right. And I think you laid out a couple of, of good potential options to solve the problem in the short term, but it gets us thinking about what a GT class that would be common across all championships in the future might look like and the thoughts of having Bentley and Acura and Lamborghini and these GT3 manufacturers throw Mercedes-AMG in there going up against the likes of Porsche and Aston and Corvette, those that have been in the GTE ranks for some time at Le Mans, at Daytona, at the Spa 24, at Bathurst. The fact that you could have all of these potentially playing together, I mean, that, that sounds like the ultimate goal. That's where it, it would seem everyone would want to be, but clearly it's not so easy or else it would happen earlier. So what hurdles still remain to be cleared that uh, could, prov could prove to be pitfalls here as the different organizers around the world really try and build towards something like we're seeing on the prototype side with LMH and LMDH, maybe a, a GT component of that? Yeah, and that's a good way you brought it up, Ryan, with LMDH. You know, for instance, that car is based off an LMP2 car. So you, in theory, could have something similar with what I'm, what I've sort of proposing with GT3, maybe maybe being a little closer in cars, not having different bodywork and not, you know, different engines and, and whatever, because LMP2 is a spec engine class. But um, by having a common platform brings its benefits. And, and the last round of GT convergence talks centered on that, having a common 
GT platform per manufacturer and, and having different bodywork engine, um, having a little more open architecture, um, more rigid architecture, sorry, about with around the, the professional factory class. Um, I personally don't think it needs to go that far. I think you can really just build it off a of GT3, but I know a lot of people that are questioning that move and, and whether that will end up being the correct way to go about it because how do you separate manufacturers from from customers and i think that's been the age old debate we've had and at least for the last 4 or 5 years at least yeah 5 6 years in gte it's more or less been all factory teams um outside of um elms entrance and so you sort of define GTE as the factory class. But then you had GT3 where you right now, frankly, you have a mix of factory teams and privateers. And I think by distinguishing this into two different categories within the same platform of cars, maybe give the the, the factory cars a little more horsepower. You can easily do that with the BOP, um, especially in IMSA. The, 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 the power spectrum, the whole performance spectrum in, in a GTD car is at the very low end in order to give GTE as much of a, a buffer between the classes right now. Um, you can easily increase the horsepower, a good 40, 50 horsepower to all GT3 cars um, if they were to, say, run them in a pro category. And I think that would sort of open the door and help differentiate pro you know, pro factory back teams, they don't have to be full factory, but teams that want to have all pro lineups. And then you have teams that want to have a bronze driver and, and maybe a pro with that, but as running as a, a true privateer entry. And I think that sure, it might uh, come at a sacrifice with, with some entries in the GTD class of what we know today in the weather tech championship, because you might have some teams like Meyer Shank Racing or or um, uh, Aim Vassar Sullivan, for instance, two teams that do get some support from their manufacturers right now. They might they might want to go the all pro route and go up to the the top class. But at the same time, I think you might get some more true gentleman driver amateur entries inside the the WeatherTech Championship. Now it it could react differently in different ways. I don't know how it'll how it could unfold in the WEC, for instance, because we already do have a strong GTE AM field and that has that bronze driver mandated component. So um, there's still a lot of questions. And to be clear, nobody's made any decisions right now. It's just us talking on what could possibly happen. But um, I think we do we do know that IMSA is taking a close look at this. Um, I've reached out to IMSA for a comment. Um, um, John Doonan provided us with one saying that Porsche remains fully invested in the series and 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 with, through their privateer programs and their single make series. But I was more interested in talking to Mr. Doonan about what could happen with the, the class moving forward. And I think, quite frankly, IMSA is still in a evaluation mode, um, reaching out to manufacturers, reaching out to competitors, seeing what could be the best options and, and, and not making a, a quick decision because something like this definitely shouldn't come lightly. It's something that should be taken with a lot of care and respect and, and making sure that the majority of the paddock agrees on such a, a move like this. If we were to, uh, uh, get rid of GTLM or converge GTLM into a, a GT3-based platform. We've spoken a lot about the WEC and IMSA and, to a lesser degree, ELMS in this conversation, but I do think we need to bring the SRO into this conversation because Stefan Rattel obviously has a stake in the direction of GT3, as does the FIA, but 
it seems to me that perhaps Stefan and the SRO would have the most to lose should there be a GT3-based platform across the board, um, and maybe some of the manufacturers that currently play in IGTC or in any of the Continental Championships might find the appeal of Le Mans greater, and it could come at the detriment of, of his series. So how do you view the SRO's take on this? Because they're going to have to have a seat at the table with any kind of GT convergence as long as it involves GT3. Yeah, that's a really good point, Ryan. And and you're right on the IGTC front. Although running a program in IGTC is considerably less expensive than doing something in WEC, but that doesn't detract a manufacturer from going out and wanting to take part in the race like the 24 Hours of Le Mans. I would think the ACO would still require, you know, that manufacturer to be present in either IMSA or in WEC or in ELMS or something to sort of guarantee their presence um, in the 24 hour. Otherwise you'd probably have 250 entry requests for that race with the GT3 cars in all seriousness, because every single team that owns a GT3 car would want to go to Le Mans. So it could be the one of the big cautious areas of caution, because how do you regulate something like that? How do you control and, and select who would get in, what manufacturers would get in. You know, IMSA has a really controlled measure of, of manufacturer participation through its, uh, through its various agreements with the manufacturers, more or less marketing agreements that they call automotive partnerships. And um, I know IMSA gets a lot of flack for it, but in, to their benefit, by having those agreements in place, that allows a, a greater activation of, 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 of manufacturers and manufacturers that are more committed to the series instead of just, you know, having somebody show up with the privateer Bentley and Bentley not putting any money into the, into the class, for instance. Um, while, 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 while it'll be great to see Bentley in IMSA, for instance, um, Bentley's not investing any dollars to help grow the, the, the program and grow its awareness of, of IMSA and, and whatnot to, to its, private to its customers on the road and everything. So um, what going back to the whole SRO thing, yeah, it would have an impact, I think, in some way or another. And you raise a good point that it, it probably could come at a detriment. At the same time, we don't know what the face of factory racing is really going to look like in the next couple of years. There's a lot of people predicting that we might not see much factory racing in GT altogether, that these manufacturers are going to be decreasing their programs, going more towards customer embraced uh, um, efforts, much like what Bentley has been doing with with the elimination of the M Sport program in um, GT World Challenge Europe. And then um, this uh, last week's news that they're withdrawing from Intercontinental GT Challenge um, this for this year, at least 2020 only. So we're already seeing that happen. So I don't know how many manufacturers will even be around at that level, at a full factory level, to sort of snatch away. I, I think it's more going to be a case of maybe factory-supported efforts where you have factory drivers with customer teams. Okay. Well, clearly it's a fascinating topic. Clearly it's immensely complicated as well, and uh, this news out of Porsche uh, really set things in motion maybe a little bit quicker than we all expected because I think this is something that was on the radar down the road at some point, but all of a sudden it's brought to the fore here because it just brings into stark relief how close 
GTE on both sides of the pond is to, to reaching a, a pretty critical situation, and I'd say IMSA finds itself there next year as it stands with just four full-time competitors in GTLM slated for next season. So anyway, a lot more can be said about that. Make sure you check out John's op-ed piece at SportsCar365 as well for a bit more in-depth look into that, and I'm sure we'll be talking about that more in the future. But to a topic you just raised a moment ago, John, that was not the only manufacturer dropping a manufacturer-backed program, and you referenced Bentley. They have pulled their their M-Sport factory entry from the Intercontinental GT Challenge, this on the heels of that program's most successful running to date back at uh, the Liquamali Bathurst 12-hour in Australia where they got that long-awaited breakthrough win. And uh, just like that, this new world that we enter into now is one where they need to, to save some money, cut some costs, and the focus shifts away from that manufacturer-driven program to the customer racing arm, which, frankly, has really been growing in the last year or two, but uh, it it still is tough news to swallow because those factory Bentleys were always popular and have been increasingly successful. Yeah, especially coming after the Bathurst win. Um, This was a surprising development as well, but makes a little more sense than Porsche's withdrawal, I'll I'll be frank, because of the, the amount of customer growth we've seen with Bentley Um, ever since Paul Williams has taken control of the head of Bentley Motorsport. He's come in with a completely different mindset from his um, predecessor, Brian Gush, in that trying to sell more cars, make their factory drivers available and support those customer teams around the world. And um, I think there's eight different Bentley customer teams now in action around the world, which is a huge increase from what it was in previous years. And I think this is more about a decision to try to save some of money, um, cut out the factory program for now. You know, they're not ruling out a return in 2021. And actually, um, Paul told our, our Daniel Lloyd that M Sport could end up running still this year, may perhaps as a, a privateer entry or doing a couple one-off races such as the Spa 24 Hours, which they actually have their entries ready in for. Um, you could check out that story on Sports Car 365 that was released on Monday. But um, this could be the new normal for manufacturers where you don't have a factory team anymore in GT3 and you sort of spread it out between your customers. And Porsche took a similar model last year, although it was still a lot of influence from Manthai in, in, in quite a few of the entries um, throughout the season. They utilized a lot of local crews for their intercontinental campaigns. And and Bentley was really one of the only teams that had a full factory team that flew around the world for that series. And that sort of went against Stefan Rattel's idea of intercontinental, of not having a single team do the full season, but actually have local teams and fly in the car, fly in the driver and engineer um, you know, for each effort. So um, I think that this might just be a sort of a sign of the times. Um, I'm definitely not saying M Sport won't return, but I think it might be unlikely we'll see them in a, in a full season capacity, um, at least to what they've been doing in, in previous years. Sticking with the IGTC powered by Pirelli, that schedule has been very much in flux. We do have a few updates regarding, first, the clash between the Indianapolis 8 hours and the rescheduled Salins 6 hours at the Glen IMSA race. And as we've speculated on the SRO side, it sounds like there's no way out of that clash due to schedule constraints. So it seems like 
all hopes now rest with IMSA finding an alternate date, which doesn't strike me as extremely likely. No, it looks like we'll be stuck with this clash unless something happens to the Indy eight-hour weekend, um, whether it's entry restrictions into the U.S., but that kind of looks unlikely at this point. I think we've made some good strides with that in recent weeks. Thanks to IMSA for, you know, I think they've been sort of at the forefront in, in, in trying to push um, the U.S. government to, to allow um, foreign drivers and foreign essential personnel into the United States for races. And, and from all what I can take from it is that those entry um, exceptions will be given to um, SRO America or intercontinental competitors as well. So it looks like the Indianapolis eight hour is still a go. But we're also looking at other scenarios, perhaps, you know, with the Indianapolis 500, it's confirmed right now for late August, but um, Roger Penske's come out in the media and said that the race will run with fans. And if fans are not able to attend in August, they may look at pushing it back later in the year. And that could have a piggyback effect on other races at Indianapolis that may force this weekend to move to a different date. I don't know. Um, there's still so many questions out there that leave the possibility for this clash to be averted. Um, I know SRO America has done everything they could to try to rectify it. Unfortunately, it's not possible. Um, Stefan explained that it can't be pushed back one week um, because of the logistics and freight for a lot of the intercontinental teams going straight to Spa right afterwards. Um, Spa is right now scheduled for the end of end of October. So um, yeah, there's a lot of moving pieces here. and. Um, it's an unfortunate clash and something that's going to come at a detriment, I think, to the eight, the Indy eight hour, no doubt having it be on the same weekend as the Salem's six hours. But um, it may be one that we're, we might just have to swallow. Yeah. And then the other part of the calendar puzzle that we've been keeping tabs on is uh, a potential replacement for the canceled Suzuka round on the IGTC schedule there had been some scuttlebutt that maybe a round could be held in Europe, but it sounds like if there is going to be a replacement for the Suzuka race, it would come at an Asian circuit. And my first thought was Sepang because it's hosted an IGTC race before, but it sounds like that's not the direction they're looking at. Yeah, that's what Stefan said um, to our Dan Lloyd. He said no to Sepang. And quite honestly, that looked like the obvious choice for me too, especially with the, the newly reconfirmed um, GT World Challenge Asia calendar, which came out Tuesday morning, um, shows Sepang still as the season finale for in early December. That timeline works perfect for, for Intercontinental to sort of latch onto that race, but um, apparently not. So um, we'll have to wait and see what Stefan has under, uh, you know, under his sleeve right now for, for a IGTC race in Asia. I'm still quite frankly, scratching my head on this one. I don't know where else they could really hold an event, but um, I'm eager to find out, and hopefully it, it works out. Yep, definitely so. Um, okay, completely different topic here. Let's switch over to the World Endurance Championship. And how about this? A constructor actually confirming a program instead of confirming a withdrawal of a program. Glickenhaus, we know they've been full steam ahead trying to get ready for their hypercar program, and it sounds like two cars are the plan, and they should be there for the start of the 2021 WEC season, which we believe will begin at Sebring. Yeah, uh, good news. It was the same day, I think, that Porsche announced its withdrawal. Glickenhaus confirmed two cars, and I think for quite some time we knew Glickenhaus would be part of the championship. They hadn't formally committed to the full season, but um, and then at the same time, I think we thought that 
might have, might only be a one a single car entry. Now they're confirming two cars, um, which I think is excellent news. It, it's making this program look more and more serious by the day. So um, really can't wait to to find out more on this program. Uh, maybe uh, testing once it begins, um, drivers, etc. Um, you know, the, things have been really coming into place for um, Jim Glickenhaus and his and his operation. Okay, last couple of topics. You can find out more about these at sportscar365.com. We've got updated calendars from DTM and Super GT. In the case of DTM, there were a couple of updates that came in quick succession, but you could find those at the website. Same thing for the cancellation of the FIA GT World Cup at Macau. There will be no World Cup at Macau this year, and uh, details on that cancellation can be found at sportscar365.com as well. That's it for us on the show this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'd love a rating and a review on iTunes if you have some time to spare. And feel free to send in questions or comments for future shows. You can do so in the comment section or by using the hashtag AskDoubleStint. That's it for us. We'll talk to you next week with the next edition of Double Stint. We'll be right back.